Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. I hope you enjoy the Masterclass. Once again, welcome. My name is Lita Downs and I'll be moderating, well not moderating, Lee is the official moderator, but I will be behind the scenes um, working some magic. Uh, and I'm with the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence. And today's session, um, we want to welcome you, is Walden University's first doctoral mentoring masterclass in a series discussing the special needs of doctoral students. The masterclasses are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session, we'll be transitioning students to a new committee. The purpose of this class is to have doctoral mentors discuss how they help students become acclimated to a new doctoral committee. The goal for the session is to provide a list of usable strategies for faculty, you all on the line, to apply to your mentoring. Without further ado, I'm going to turn things over to our moderator, Dr. Lee Statlander. Welcome. Thank you, Lita. I'm Lee Stoutlander, and I'm the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. So let's introduce our panel members of exceptional mentors. Uh, why don't we start with Gwen? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, I am Gwen. I work in the, in the Doctoral of Business Administration out of the College of Management and Human Potential. I have been with Walden for 11, maybe 12 years. And my expertise is in leadership as well as mentoring or coaching doctoral students. Awesome. And Leslie? Hi, I'm Leslie Hussey. I'm the academic program coordinator for the nursing PhD program. I've been with Walden almost 12 years now. And my main role besides uh, the administrative part of the nursing PhD program is to mentor students. And I have a large group of students that I chair and work with on committees, um, which is a delightful part of my job. And my expertise is in quantitative research, chronic uh, topics of, on quality of life in chronic disease and instrumentation development. And Anne Hacker. Hi, I'm Anne Hacker. I am... I've been with Walden for 15 years, yay, and I'm with the School of Public Policy and Administration. I am primarily a qualitative researcher. I tell students I know enough about quantitative research to ask questions and be dangerous, but um, my primary responsibilities are in mentoring doctoral students and um, helping mentor new mentors um, who are going to be working with doctoral students. Okay, great. So let's start with <clears throat> what kind of issues arise that a student would need to get a new committee? Well, I can start that. Uh, that that occurs for a variety of, a few different reasons, I should say. A faculty member leaves the university and mm -hmm. leaves um, a number of vacancies with students, or a student requests a new committee member because they are having some 
difficulties connecting with their their chair or their committee members or they don't they don't think they're getting the the proper response so we work on that before we actually change the committee but those are just a couple of the main issues that come up with a student that needs a new committee others are that faculty die or they um they retire um that's another i think i don't know if there's any other Options, Gwen, maybe you have some ideas. No, all of those are really the rationales for a student changing. Either they request it or the person leaves the university or there is just a need for something different. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can be with a person and, and you may feel like you're not moving as fast as you like and you may think that a different type of guidance is needed. So it's all in the student transitioning or the faculty transitioning. I do want to mention that we do have some ABD students coming back. Um, these are people that were in dissertation and for whatever reason they have dropped out along the way and now they're deciding to come back. Um, they may have been out of school for five years, 10 years. So they have a whole host of problems all by themselves coming back. Mm -hmm. So right. what challenges or issues can occur with the student and their new committee? To begin with, um, leaving the past behind. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the person that's coming back after some time, they need to develop different type of studying habits or commitment to time to write the dissertation if that's all that's left in their program. And sometimes the emotional baggage that comes with them, especially if they feel or perceive that they did not have a great experience with a formal chair. So those are challenges that the new mentor has to work through in order for them to begin the process of moving forward. Right, because in that situation, sometimes a student may have feel, feel like they haven't gotten the input that they needed to move forward. So now they have a new chair, new committee, and they're a little bit anxious about the feedback or the response time and the feedback they're going to get. So it takes some time, again, to work through those issues and to kind of put the past behind them and to look forward to the new experience and the new engagement with their committee. Right. And that's I what we work on. Another um, transition challenge could be that um, it was a sudden loss of a committee member and they're mourning that consistency. Perhaps they really like their committee member, their chair and, um, for either organizational reasons or, it, you know, out of their control, the committee had to change. And so um, there's a sense of they're mourning the loss of that. So as, as the new faculty chair, being sensitive to that, not dwelling on it, but just helping them move through and giving them the assurance that um, 
all is not lost and that you know you're you're standing there to to help them move forward and i think that's really important to help them get into a new swing of things right i th- and and to build on that they're very anxious as well if they're depending on where they're at in their dissertation if they've already been through proposal they're almost done with their proposal and the faculty member resigns or is no longer with around with Walden, then somebody else has to step in and the students thinking, oh my goodness, all my work, what's going to happen to all the work? So <clears throat> you have mm-hmm. to pick up from that point on and meet the student where they are. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you have a committee that will go in and see what they've done and will move forward with it instead of uh, disagreeing or making them do things over again. Because I know that's a huge anxiety producing uh, issue with the students of, oh my goodness, what my, what is my uh, committee going to think about the study that I've done so far? Mm-hmm. So yeah, got to help them work through that. So any ideas as to how to kind of mitigate these problems? I mean, is there any special techniques you use with these new students? One of the things that I do is when I first am notified that I'm being that a student's being reassigned to me is, in fact, I just had this happen today. Um, I send them an email saying, welcome to the cohort um, and offer to have a a one-on-one phone call or Teams conference with them just to introduce myself, have them tell me a little bit about themselves and then um, um maybe send me a document <laughs> um, eventually. And it's usually at the start of the term or if someone, you know, we all have students that are scouting us. Um, we may not know that they're looking for a different person to chair, but I, I have a list of um, my expectations and what they can expect of me that I send to them. Um, things like, <clears throat> how often are we going to meet? What's the best way to communicate? Um, What do I expect in terms of chapter three, presenting data in chapter four? Um, You know, what, just different steps along the way. And it's pretty inclusive um, so that regardless of what stage they're in, they, they know kind of what to expect. But I think the first important thing is that they have that first contact and make it welcoming, you know, a quick, short email, welcome to the cohort, let's talk. Um, I think it's a lot, it's inviting them to participate instead of um, waiting until the class starts. Right, to get, and to get to know them, you know, to get like, like, like Ann said, to, to get to know them and, and to let them talk through their fears, their anxieties, talk about their topic and let them get to know me and what my perspectives are and how I give feedback and what I'm going to do that's may or may not be somewhat different than who they've had, whether it was a, a request in a change or a sudden change because of uh, faculty moving around or leaving the university. So you just got to let them talk it through. But I think the best the best way for me is to have that Teams meeting, whether or not they, sometimes they don't show up on camera. I don't, they're, they're a little camera shy, but I'd like to meet them face to face so that we can talk things through and I can reassure them that I am here to help them 
and, and give them what they need. Uh, but on the other hand, they've got to tell me what they need and how often they want to meet and how much help that they want. So maybe in the beginning we meet more often and then we can trail off depending on their work schedules and, and what, uh, how much the, the level of engagement that they need, you want to meet them where they are. Um, and usually you can calm them down and bring down their anxiety and know and, and give them the reassurance that, that this is going to work out and we're going to do all that we can to help them through. What I tend to do is um, they, I have a Thursday meeting with my students every week. Hmm. And so once they show up, um, even when the students are transitioning into mentorship classes, I have them show up and, and the team, I call us team Dooley that started with a student years ago. And so I allow my team members to tell them about me. And I will always have one or two of them to say what a mean person I am. But <laughs> at the end of the day, if you do as requested, you will move forward. And they talk about how um, they I do little celebration posts when people make milestones and how mm -hmm. that motivates and how they are connected. They have a WhatsApp group where they go and talk about me and say negative things. And I'm not part of that group, but that's where they fun together. And usually through that team um, support, they buy into the team culture and that helps them transition because they align themselves with other people on the team that they identify with. Now, if it's one of those, um, emotional transitions, I will have a one-on-one -on -one with that person and I'll listen to whatever they say went on. Um, and then I will coach them through how they may have had a part in that journey as well as not always the other person. And then I have them write down what they feel, how they feel about it. And then tell them to have a burial ceremony because they need that emotional transition to occur. And that's symbolic of releasing the path so that past so that you can move forward into your future. Now, it may sound funny, but it works psychologically because sometimes they are so bound up that they can't see. And that allows me the opportunity to become a coach for them and then help them transition into this new thing because my way of mentoring is different than most faculty's way of mentoring. And it's not to say that I'm better because I'm not. I have a lot to learn. But what they may be accustomed to will be different with me. And so that allows them to connect because I care. And then it allows them to want to do more because they want to make sure that I'm satisfied with their end product. And that's the way that I transition people from the past. They're only allowed to talk about it one time, only one time. After that, we don't talk about it anymore. We have to focus on the work. So that's that's those are strategies that I use. Yeah, I love that. I think I think I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I wanted to say that I think Gwen made an important point. She brought out that we need to show them that we care. 
you know, we have this mm -hmm. community of care with Walden and that that's a very important four letter word that we need to show them that we care, that what happened to them matters. Mm -hmm. And that, like you said, put it behind it, but that we, we care that we're going to help them get through. So with everything we've been talking about, I know some of the odd onboarding ideas have come through, but I just wanted to give you a chance if there's anything else, what do you do about onboarding the new students? If if the, the new student's topic is similar to some of the other students in the cohort, mm -hmm. I will connect them. I'll suggest that they might want to share resources or talk to each other. Um, whether they do or don't, I may never know. <laughs> but, um, you know, just to encourage them that the cohort is also there for their support, their mutual support, and that there are other people they can share references, you know, resources, things like that. So, um, and I do that by sending emails to the people who are involved and introducing them. Awesome. I use the discussion board, mm -hmm. um, I think in a unique way. I have them put their work a short portion of their work on the discussion board so that everybody on the team can give feedback, including myself. That gets them accustomed to receiving feedback, accustomed to improving their style of writing. And it also allows them to partner with each other because some may like more feedback than others, but it allows them to see how others are approaching that section. And then they are able to move at a faster rate. So the discussion board is a vehicle for me in order for everybody to get involved. And so there is not a dependency on, I need your work, your, your words on this. Even though I do give it, I give it in chunks so that it's not so overwhelming where they feel like, oh my God, I just cannot get through this. So I think the discussion board is a unique strategy to help them get accustomed to improving based on colleague as well as faculty input weekly. I wanna jump in for just a second on that. So we're talking about using Canvas and it doesn't come with weekly questions or anything. So you set that up in advance for the course? Correct. Mm. Share parts of your work. Okay. And this is in um, doctoral mentoring courses. Mm -hmm. Share parts of your work. And you're not going to put a whole lengthy part because I'm only going to take a paragraph or two and, and share certain things to look for. And sometimes when I get on the discussion board, that's already done. So all I have to look at is whether or not the content is aligned with what the practice should be. Whereas the other um, writing elements part or even the, the anthropomorphisms and, and all of that, they, the team members are able to come in before me and get that out the way. So it, it serves as a time management strategy for the faculty, as well as them receiving responsive feedback where they can say, oh, I forgot that. And they really strive not to have a whole lot of red on the discussion board. That's the, they, they really want to say, oh, I got it right. I got it right. So <laughs> that's the way I, I tend to use the discussion board. 
Nice. It's neat. Uh, one of the things that I do to um, help the students on board is to just follow up with them and make sure that they understand the feedback that I'm giving them. Because I tell them up front that I'm very straightforward with my feedback and that um, it, it I don't want them to get discouraged if I give them a lot of feedback, I give them what they're doing right, what they're doing well, and give them a path to follow on that. And then also things that they need to improve on because I'll I'll get things from people like, wow, I've I've never gotten quite that much feedback as I've gotten from you. And I was kind of discouraged. Like, well, I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to use that feedback to move forward. I think sometimes that's a shock for them because with students who request a change, that has been the deficit that they haven't been getting enough feedback. So then when they see what I give them, they're, they go into a small state of shock for a little while. And then they, they really appreciate it. Like, oh man, I wish I would have had this all along. So I follow up with them to make sure that um, I don't want to overwhelm them, give them a little bit at a time so that they get used to my, my style of feedback. And then they move forward with it. And they, I have to explain to them, which I know we all do, is that you have to take the feedback and move forward. You can't take it as criticism. You have to take it as an imp what, what you can improve on and make it better. And that's what the goal is, is to make it better, to make a, a rigorous and important study in the end. And that's what we're after. Yeah, hel helping them to understand that this is a team process, that you know, some of the students will come to us, as Leslie said, they haven't gotten a lot of feedback. They haven't gotten a lot of detail or substance. And that this isn't personal. It's, you're still a good person. But that um, we're trying to help them develop this. So it uh, ends up being a document that they're going to be really proud of and be able, you know, to when they take it out in public, they'll be able to speak knowledgeably. Um I think when you get a student transitioning who is post-proposal, has IRB approval, has collected data, um, one of the challenges that I have found is when I ask them to share their data with me. Um, I don't think that's a university standard, and it it's one of my personal expectations that I will be able to look at the data and they can walk me through how they <clears throat> analyzed it. Um, some students have been reluctant to share their data. And um, so, you know, that can be a, a, a challenge. And um, so to encourage them that it's, you know, I'm not saying you don't have your data, um, it's real difficult to come up with analysis that without having any data to look at. Um, and, you know, especially if they hand wrote or they hand coded things, they said, just take a couple, some pictures of some pages so that I can have a frame of reference. And that seems to help them get over that, um, kind of hesitancy. Um, you know, again, we're trying to help them continue their process so they can succeed and finish. But, um, you know, and Leslie alluded to, you know, sometimes the students have moved 
quite a long way along in their process. And then they, for whatever reason, they have to change their committee. And so um, when you have a new chair, there are new expectations, new whatever. And so to help them with that, I think sometimes we have to be gentle, but still firm that it's, it's not the end of the world that we're asking for certain, um, certain things, but it's to help us have a frame of reference and to help you as the student move along. Mm -hmm. I think that is now a recommendation for faculty that the students share their data with them. Um, and yeah, I think the original thought was make sure people aren't faking data and that kind of thing. But I think it also makes them feel like you're part of that study. You know what I mean? That you're a co-author yes. in a way that sets up different parameters for the students right. than if right. you know they're just sharing what they wrote. It also gives them another backup. Yeah. You know, if someone comes along after they've published and says, I loved your dissertation, I'd like to look at your data and possibly, is it possible for me to maybe repurpose it? If you don't have the data, you know, your IRB requires that you keep it for a certain period of time. It's federal law. So why not have an extra backup with your with your chair who hopefully is responsible enough not to lose it or have your computer blow up, which, you know, so many of our students, unfortunately, have old computers and stuff. Yeah. Other thoughts on issues that these students might have that we need to think about in advance? Well, some some issues align with their perception of I'm a great writer mm -hmm. or that they have the ability to to write at a technical level. And that transition of thought can be challenging. Um, I work with um, a student now who believes that the use of filler words or extra words in a sentence is necessary and to have them to write within a certain context. I always call it a word budget. Okay. For you, I want you to only give me 15 words in a sentence or 12 words in a sentence, but don't go over. That helps them to stay in a bucket um, because Sometimes you're, you're kind of looping in the mm -hmm. sentence and that causes a lack of clarity. So it's those kinds of stylistic ways. When I said back that I might be a different kind of instructor, I put those kind of parameters on them so that they don't waste time in giving me filler sentences that really don't mean a thing. Um, that's another um part of, of this journey of transitioning. Sometimes you can write a sentence and in your mind it makes sense. But when you're reading and I'm not in your mind, I don't know what you mean. So therefore there are some sentences in here with no value. 
Well, how do you say that to a student? So you have to say, let's take out the, the fillers and let's talk about what did you intend this to mean for me, the reader? And that is another strategy to help them transition. I need to be more concise in the writing because she's going to send it back. She's not going to send it forward. She's going to send it back. Whereas somebody else may have sent it forward and that becomes a frustration for the student. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And piggy tail on, uh, piggybacking on that is I hear all the time <laughs> with students and I, I, we emphasize this, try to emphasize this in the, in the colloquium sessions and residency that the students will say, but I, I don't understand why I'm having such issues writing my dissertation because I got all A's on my assignments in my courses and nobody told me I couldn't write. That doesn't mean you couldn't write those assignments. It means perhaps you haven't ramped up your level of writing to a dissertation level because it's a, as we know, it's another step up. Like one was describing with the conciseness and the leaving mm -hmm. out the moreovers and the howevers and the thereto's and, and all the the extra words. And I remember someone I taught with in residency a number of years ago, and I wish I knew I could remember who it was, but her her her, her statement to the students were this this is uh, not creative writing. We don't we are scholarly writing is not creative writing. So leave out all the flowery stuff and just get to the sentences that we need, like one was uh, talking about. So, um, yeah, that that's another issue of their confidence mm -hmm. in their levels of writing that they are a little bit overconfident sometimes. And then when they get the feedback, they're devastated. So we have to work on that level of confidence. And at the end, when they get it, um, that is that is such a sense of accomplishment for me to see them accomplish that. It It is just that aha moment where they're getting it at the end and they present it in their final defense. Um, mm -hmm. You can just see the, 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 the transition to that level of thought. So it takes a while to get there. Some students have more difficulty with it than others, but with all the great resources at Walden, it's, um, you know, you just have them use those resources and it really does help if they'll take advantage of them. I'm glad you mentioned the resources because I've, I think this week alone, I have mentioned the meal plan at least 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, reminding students that um, transitioning and the ones who are struggling, that there are a lot of resources that Walden provides them. They hear it at the residencies, but there's so much going on at the residencies. Um, you know, that Oasis website is chock full of goodies for you. Um, and there are things that we can do. And I ask students if they feel um, that it might be beneficial to have a chapter at it, or have they considered um, signing up for one of the writing courses? Um, and you know, the those can be so beneficial to uh, students who are making that transition to a new chair or just starting their dissertation process. I like to work with them a little bit before we get to that, but. Um, you know, definitely mention those those resources. They, I don't think we can mention it too much. Um, they, I agree. They're focusing on the dissertation and all the other stuff is noise. Sometimes we have to bring in that new note. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Right. I do want to open 
up for questions from the audience if anyone has any comments. We're going to keep talking until I see a question. So you can raise your hand. Um, one thing that came out when we talked earlier was this idea of knowing yourself as a mentor. I wonder if anybody could address that a little bit. I I think I know myself sometimes. Um, I know what I expect, you know, I and I know why. It's not just because I'm trying to make life difficult for doctoral students. And I have heard other faculty say, well, I had a difficult time. My chair was really, just really challenging and made my life miserable. So I'm going to pass that along to, to new students that I'm mentoring. No, 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 no. I don't want to repeat those things. But, you know, things like I require certain things in chapter three, and I require them for a reason. Um, and I can back it up with citations, references, whatever. Um, chapter four, I, you know, there's a certain organization and, um, or when I'm, when I'm listening to a student, whether it's in a presentation or when we're talking, um, there have been a number of students who've transitioned who were stuck. They just couldn't find a theory or they couldn't find um, a methodology. And I think, oh, well, that sounds like an article I just read. So I send them down what I call rabbit holes. And, um, you know, read this, read this article. It might give you some ideas. Or have you thought about this theory? Here's the, here's the author. Um, you know, I, sometimes that opens up their thinking so that they, they say, oh, I just had an aha moment. I've never heard of that before. Um, and that's been really successful, so much so that one of my graduates uh, painted me a watercolor of a rabbit, which is hanging <laughs> on the wall in my office. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think one of the, one of the important things to me is that they know that, yeah, I take this seriously, but I'm also human and I like to smile and I like to laugh. And, um, so let's have this collegial discussion. They have so much to teach us that, um, and sometimes that gets missed in the the iterative dissertation process. So I want them to know that um, I expect them to feed me. Um, one of my colleagues said, if it doesn't feed your soul, don't do it. And I don't think we could continue to work with uh, dissertation students as long as we do, if it doesn't feed our soul. And it, I, you know, it is just amazing, absolutely amazing what they are coming up with. Um, so. And I lovely. piggyback on that to say, and I learn something from them every single day. Absolutely. And, and that is, uh, you know, I, I just love the learning that I, I get from them. So me as a mentor, you know, it's, it's a wonderful exchange of ideas with them and I'm guiding them along, but I keep telling them that they're becoming the experts in the field. And by the time they get to the final defense, they know a whole lot more about their topic 
they're the expert and the committee's just going to sit there and listen to them and kind of lap it all up because mm -hmm. they've gained so much knowledge and um and, and so much expertise and the 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 confidence that um that they've gained in in terms of what they've done and um you know they're just uh I'm trying to knowing myself as a mentor that's that's my goal for them and and to learn um and to kind of be a thorn in their side to keep them going I, I know that of myself and and to keep on not <laughs> nagging them but reminding them you know it's week three it's week four it's week five mm -hmm. and so they don't forget where they're at in the course and um and all of a sudden the, the quarter goes by and they don't have much accomplished so um I and again like like Gwen and Ann have said I I still you know, I still try to keep improving myself and, and making myself clear in my feedback, uh, connecting with students who sometimes are more, you know, they're not as forthcoming and they're a little bit more challenging to get to know and or they are a little bit uh, shyer and they don't want to exchange things. But I, I but I also listen to them in terms of their personal, mm -hmm. uh, their personal uh, situations and Sometimes we talk about that 95% of the time on our team's meeting because they need somebody to talk to about that who's outside of their family just to get that off their chest. So I listen to that. And, and you know, it's it's just amazing to me, the, the people that have difficulty with the time and stage things, 95% of them, it's personal issues. It's not that they don't want to get through this program. It's the, the health issues or the the tragedies where their house has been destroyed by a tornado or they're battling cancer or there's some tra tragic health issue that they're battling, but they're still in this program trying to get done. And that is inspiring to me. So I try to get them the support they need to get finished. As I said in the beginning of our talk today is that I have Zoom meetings. And part of that is because they get to see me as a person so often that they feel because doctor is before our names that there is a great grand canyon between us and them. And so it allows me to be personable with them where they feel connection with me through the care and the guidance that I give to them. Um, just this week, um, one of my students partner, wife died. And he texted that to me. And then I called him and he cried with me. Why did that happen? It is because of the connection that they have working one-on-one -on -one with me as well as in groups. And we, we have to understand that our job as faculty is more than just faculty. It is also coach. It is also listening to them share about them. And you share some things that's not too personal about you where they feel that I'm talking to a person, not a faculty. I'm talking to a person. And I think that is the best way to use our time with students to build connections that where they know they have the expectation to elevate, but at the same time that they can share and uh, know that they're safe to share. Mm -hmm. 
and still get the work done. Yeah, right. Going along yeah. with that, I think when they realize that you are a person and that you really care about them, they don't want to let you down and they will do whatever they can to get through this process for you. It make you proud of them. So I think that connection really helps support them a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good point, Lee. Sometimes it surprises me when a, a student will email me or talk to me on the phone and say, I'm so sorry, I disappointed you, Dr. Hussey. Like, you're not disappointing me. <laughs> Why, you know, so it, it's it still surprises me when they say that, uh, that they're disappointing me. Like, I, I want you to think about that in terms of yourself, not not me personally, but it, it uh it does you make a good point on that that they're they don't they don't want to disappoint their committee mm -hmm. and yeah I think it's, setting those boundaries is is really important um you know Gwen mentioned personal but not too personal um and that's that can be a delicate balance everybody does it differently everybody has parts of themselves they're willing to share and parts they're not. Um, but I do think that having those face-to-face, -face, whether it's a team or a Zoom or whatever, big blue button, um, you know, <laughs> um, it gives us an opportunity to take the Walden background off. Um, every one of my students has met my dogs. Um, my cat, not so much because she, it's about beneath her. But, um, you know, they know that one of the questions I ask early on, like in week one, introduce yourself. And I I tell them, name, what do you do for a living? What's your topic? And what's your favorite dessert? What book did you read recently that wasn't, you know, for this stuff? Um, you know, one time I had them take a photograph of their workspace, their mm -hmm. desk, and what's the view that you see out your window or right in front of your computer screen? It was hysterical what they sent. <laughs> and <laughs> but it forms that connection to the cohort. Right. They support each other through, um, and this takes a little pressure off of me. Um, they support each other through life, birth, deaths. Um, mm -hmm. It's really, and they celebrate. Um, and that's what I think the cohort, one of the gifts of having uh, a couple, more than one or two students in your cohort is. Yeah, totally agree with you on that one. If, well, we if are, I can add, oh, go ahead, we'll let you talk. If I could add, I, I always remember my journey as a doctoral student where I felt like I was an, on an island by myself. Mm -hmm. And one of my core values is that my students do not feel like they're on an island by themselves. And the, co the cohort model, the team model, all of that works. They have relationship with people all across the country and they will get on that WhatsApp after they get through talking about me. And, and then they'll start talking about how to fix whatever it is I said is wrong. And, and they can go to each other and do that. And they go to each other to, to practice their oral presentations. They do that. And I'll 
hey, do you need to get on the call with me so I can see what you're going to say in this presentation? No, I got it. <laughs> so, so that's the kind of collaboration among the students, even though they're across the country. They work with each other. They form relationships with each other. And therefore, they don't depend on us to spoon feed them. They are growing in scholarship. And that matters. Yeah. And I'm going to jump in. And we are out of time. <laughs> we I do have a question. Yeah. Um, let me look. Olga said, could you share more of your about the boundaries as a new chair it can be important to distinguish guiding the student, but not to do something for them. Mm -hmm. It's their responsibility to use the resources and seek out sources. I, I, I think that's where, you know, reminding folks that, and I have students who say, can you send me this checklist? No, I'm not your secretary. <laughs> I refer them to Oasis. Um, keep, you know, constantly reminding of the resources and where they can find. Now that requires us to know where to find them. <laughs> so, That's you know, sometimes I, the key, isn't it? <laughs> I tell them, you know, don't be afraid to poke around. Um, click on the links, explore things. Um, and, you know, ask your colleagues questions in, in the class cafe because there's people there who are further down the road. They know where to find that stuff. I also remind folks, I don't have the same student-facing um, portal. So it's sometimes quicker to ask your colleagues or technical support or your academic advisor. Um, and that helps them develop some independence and, and some um, successes that they, they were able to figure it out. My strategy is this. I, I do believe in demonstrating and, and I will take them to the sites and the links and I will demonstrate that in a meeting. But if I see it habitually, I will ask a question. I see that you're doing this. I want you to go to the writing center and tell me what they say about anthropomorphism. Tell me what they say about the meal plan. Or I will say, explain to me on the discussion board, and they must respond. Why am I seeing this ampersand symbol and it's not in a parenthesis with a citation? So I put it back on them or either I say, let's go on a treasure hunt because I don't want them to be so dependent that I have to do it as the secretary. I, I like that comment, <laughs> but yeah. I do make them accountable and responsible. And if I do it in the public or in our meeting, then they're going to make sure they don't fall back into that situation where they have to justify and defend. I think that's one of the boundaries we have to set. We want to be very helpful. We want to do the editing for them so that they can see it. I will demonstrate that on a page. But after that, go back to this page and see what I change. And I want you to do the rest of this and then show it to me. That's how I tend to make sure that they're doing their own editing versus me having to do that for them. Good point. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much.
Thank you. Such a great discussion. It was just awesome. So appreciate you all. And if anyone else would like to add any tips or insights for the online doctoral mentoring guidebook, there is my email. Also wanted to mention that next month on March 7th, we're going to have another discussion on participants in research that include people with some disability. So mm -hmm. it may be a medical issue, it could be a mental problem, um, whatever, but we're going to be discussing that. We're going to include the IRB and a researcher that has worked in that area. Great. Thank you all so much. Thank you to the audience. You all were wonderful. And Lita, you were terrific as always. Always. Thank you. Thank and you. so were you all. Thanks everyone for carving out time to discuss this important topic. And we'll see you next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing licensed under Creative Commons.